You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to this episode of the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Victor, and joining me is the, the esteemed William Gallagher. Ah, uh, it was the same gap as usual, the very, very worrying gap, but you've run out of W words and gone for esteemed. I think well, estimated might have been closer. Maybe, but, but I wanted to do something to express my respect for you. And the, the, <laughs> there wasn't a small enough word. Well, I mean, we can we can find more words, I'm sure. But the uh, the thing that happened here is that we got iTunes reviews, and oh. someone was very cross with me oh. because they think that we don't get along. Really? Oh, right. Uh, what don't we get on about? I'm not sure, but I wanted to okay. let you know that that having you around is some of the most fun that I have all week, and oh. so. I, I thought I would try and tell you that, and by extension, let everyone out there in listener land know that William and I get along. We like each other, or at least I like him very much. I don't know if he feels the same, but but I'm I quite enjoy this. So, and I hope you do too. I very much enjoy. I'm sorry, I haven't seen the iTunes point, so I don't know the name of the person who said it. But I just say to them, uh, I'm very touched that you would say this. Uh, but yes, uh, I do not have my arm behind my back when I say I look forward to these chats i actually look forward to learning these things i love the fact that you and i are very different in our interests and things uh, i don't think a week has gone by that i haven't learned something uh from you particularly the battery stuff we talked about a while ago that was really useful to me yeah so, and of course i went back and, and even found more support for that because i was wrong too which happens right. no no seriously I, if, I, I'm, if I'm looking stupid. at our uh, at our itunes reviews right so we had dj gilwell yeah. from belgium who says that it were amazing and to keep it going and i'm really glad to hear that there's, there's another thin fan who really liked having Andrew on at CES, which was a great recording. You know, that was one of those special mm. things where we get to be in the same room. And that that changes things a little bit when you're actually in the same room with the person, I think. Absolutely. Plus, I do think you two are very good. Uh, I've, I've yet to meet either of you, but obviously I've spoken a lot. And that was a particularly good episode. So, so here is one from uh, a fellow named Coochie Boo in the United States. Great name. Okay. Host Victor is humorless and boring, almost robotic. He's extremely condescending to his colleague, William, and gives no credit to his opinions. I can't wow. recall okay. any kind insight that I got from this podcast after listening for several years. I can't summon the will to listen anymore. I'm out. Turning to the weather. Um... <laughs> and, and I apologize if, if that's how we come across. But the truth is, I, I am a big fan of William's, and I am so glad that he's able to make time for us. So... That's that's the news. We'll get on to the rest of the show, but uh, thank you for putting up with that. And, you know, if you've got comments or feedback, feel free to let me know at victor@appleinsider.com. We really do want to make this show your show, and you can help us direct how it goes. Hugely appreciate the people uh, commenting about this. It's very nice of everybody. Thank you. It is. So before we started recording, you were telling me about something that's, that's uh, going to directly impact you, which is a change for Microsoft Office. Oh, I loved this, actually. I mean, I should, don't know why I was so surprised when it came, because it's been promised six months ago. But as of now, as of this moment as we record, uh, you can get uh, Office 365 on the Mac App Store. Now, I can't need to explain that, because um, people don't tend to use the Mac App Store, even a fraction as much as the iOS App Store. And Office has been on iOS App Store, uh, not obviously not since the start, but for a considerable amount of time. It's yes. where I downloaded my copies from. But up until today... 
um, you've had to go direct to uh, Microsoft.com and sign up to Office 365 and then download uh, the Mac versions to your computer directly. Uh, I can't remember now, and obviously there's no way to check anymore, uh, whether or not you used to be able to download them for a trial. At least now in the Mac App Store, you can you can download them for free. You can't create anything, but you can read things. And I, I get so many PowerPoint things sent to me, even though I never use PowerPoint, that even that is a really nice, handy thing. But of course, if you want to create something, you open up any of the apps and they will prod you into signing up for 365. I don't know the US pricing, but I only know the UK pricing, but I presume it's uh, the same for however you pay for Office 365. Probably quite similar, yeah. I mean, you know, in I was looking at Microsoft's site not too long ago and they were doing a $149 for a single download standalone version for Office 2019. And then right. they have yes. their monthly costs or their annual costs, you know, for for Office 365. Now, what's interesting about the Mac App Store setup is that, you know, they, normally when they distribute Office, they distribute it as a monolithic thing, download Office, right? But here, yes. they're distributing it as the separate applications, download Excel, Outlook, uh, Word, PowerPoint, OneDrive, OneNote. And, and so they're all sort of separated out and each one has in-app purchases. Now, you can also get them as a part of the bundle you know, if I click on Word, it says also included in Office 365. Mm. So they sell them separately and as the bundle, which means, which means, and this is kind of neat. One of the things that the App Store does is the complete my bundle purchase capability. Yes. You want to explain that for which, everyone? Well, I, I know it more actually from complete your album. Um, you buy a couple of hit singles off the Thriller album and then decide actually you like all of it and you don't have to buy the whole album again. You pay a certain amount to get the rest of it. It adds up to the cost you would have paid when you're buying the whole album. And, and now for a while, quite a while now, it's been the same uh, with a certain software bundles. I actually think the Office one is slightly confusing because when I was looking uh, even for the UK pricing, uh, the bundle itself is listed as naught uh, pounds and naught pence, but contained in-app purchases. And at, at least now, in its first iteration on the App Store, the bundle section doesn't say the price. If you look at Word or Excel, they again say in-app purchases, and you look at those, and they are listed as being the prices for the whole of Office 365. So one of the things I liked about the Mac App Store is it makes things less confusing. And I've, I remember now previously telling you how long I spent trying to recommend a version of Office to somebody off the website. I had to go through all these feature lists and different prices. And they were saying, this is the best value, but this is the most popular. And the difference between them was just pixel difference for it. Um, I think this is going to be simpler, but right now it's not as simple as it might be. Well, I think one of the good things about being on the Mac App Store, especially in a case like this, is that you tend to get your updates through the Mac App Store. Mm. And that is a good thing, I think. You know, the the typical Office update method is they have an auto-updater application that also needs its own update. So it updates the auto-updater yes. and yes. then goes ahead and try and update everything else. And then you get to select if you're on the, the beta channel or the regular distribution channel and all this. And so it's very easy to actually miss an update. Yeah. And when you do miss an update, your only recourse is to go to Microsoft.com and dig through their documents and support pages to try and find the right update, force it on. And, and you, you, I, I, I'm pausing here because I'm kind of frustrated by that experience. It, you have to become your own systems administrator. And when you really just wanted to, I don't know, open the PowerPoint document someone sent you, 
Yes. I'd actually forgotten this because I, I, uh, I have multiple office accounts because I work for the Writers Guild and I have an account for them that allows me to do certain things like their email system. Can't use apps through it, but I can through use email for it. So I'm in and out of office quite a lot. Uh, the Guild updates their version. Uh, I have a version that I'm using for review purposes and I just ignore all of the updates because it never comes up at a time when it's convenient and i've previously just found microsoft seems to think it's your job to know how to download microsoft patches and things whereas mac and apple and the mac app store will just tell you here it is are you ready do it tonight remind you tomorrow give me an hour give me tonight yeah. give me tomorrow yeah, yeah. and and yes. this is interesting that you make that observation because it's also true for windows Right. If you're if you're using Windows and I, I use Windows in some cases for some tools, when there are updates, you can't say I, I'll have them tomorrow. No, you get oh. here, here are your updates. And by the way, we're shutting down now. I know. I know. I was in, a, again, the Writers Guild meeting. I talked to a guy, he checked something on his notebook just for the meeting, went up to the desk, sat down, 15 of us there, big financial meeting, opens up his notebook to tell some really important figures. And it was no, Windows is updating standby. Right. He lost four hours of a six-hour meeting to it just doing this nonsense. Yes. Uh. It's absurd. It's as if, if Microsoft has no respect for your yes. time or or your situation, right? Like that meeting. You know, it's uh, – when I present in meetings, and I, I used to do this quite a lot, I would have the Mac in the bag just in case, but I would want to present on an iPad. Mm. And I'd want to do it because with an iPad, there's nothing that's going to happen that's outside of your control, right? The app I think will we've work. All just touched wood there, but yes, yeah, in I theory, mean, I completely agree. Right. In yeah. theory, in practice, it worked out reasonably well most of the time. I can't recall an instance where it let me down, actually. You know, you, you have to get the right file formats or get the right formatting or whatever, a keynote for iPad or, or you know, fonts and stuff like that. But those kind of niggling details crop up in presentations and have been for years. But for the most part, mm. It was reliable, and it never once said, oh, going down for update now. See ya. Yeah. Oh, no, I did once. Uh, this is a Windows thing, but uh, normally I don't like PowerPoint. I think every PowerPoint thing looks the same, and it's really clunky. But I was at a presentation with by a guy. I'm sorry, I blanked on his name. But he made PowerPoint look fantastic. I mean, he did such a good job, except the moment he turned away from the screen to say something, up came the Windows Genuine Advantage sign. Uh, this is a <laughs> pay your license fee. At, and as he turned back, it went away. It was just like it was no. goading him. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. No, I... Um... The, the problem with PowerPoint, this is something that I call death by PowerPoint or death by bullet point, is that everyone uses the same templates. Mm. And when you do that, they all look the same. And, and Apple gives you a bunch of keynote templates to try and help you differentiate. But my habit has been to put up one word or one image per slide. You said this to me, and uh, it works for you. It's, it's, it's sort it of, me, I mean, it's the, the Zen of presentation where when you have just one thing on the screen, then people are forced to focus on what you're saying and trying to communicate, as opposed to if you have bullet points up on the screen and they try and read them and you don't know if they're following along or not. At least neither of us does a thing that I'm sure we've both seen of people putting up you know, two or three hundred words on a slide and then reading them to us. Yeah, that's death by bullet point. That. Yeah. And and death by bullet point actually comes from the Space Shuttle Challenger 
postmortem. The the uh, where where they found that the part of the information about the O ring seals that failed due to the cold mm. temperatures, a mention of it was possibly buried like twenty four bullet points deep on a slide. Ouch! I didn't know that. Yeah, wow. that's that's the apocryphal story at any rate, and um, you know, so there there really are are things where you just if you're trying to communicate, you have to figure out what's going to help you communicate your point. And, and well, obviously, is, obscuring it through 24 bullet points is yeah. not going to happen. This is a somewhat trivial example in comparison, but I, I am conscious of the fact that uh, I think PowerPoint makes it actually very hard to see how you start the slideshow. And I was in a meeting this afternoon, and they just didn't bother. They had the edited slides up in front, and they scrolled through it rather yep. than searching for yep. the play button. So. Right. And, and so this is the thing about Office. And so Office has always been in the position of adding features and never taking them away because when you take something away there's going to be that user who is wedded to that feature and will cry bloody murder that you've taken it away from him sure right and they have yeah. tried to fix this through the interface over the years you know they they used to have toolbars then they had the ribbon and then they went to the the look that we have in office 2016 that was after the ribbon that sort of is kind of a mix between toolbars and the ribbon but it's it's kind of fluid Mm -hmm. And the, the the thing is, is that what ends up happening is they end up putting these features, these these useful things that you need in multiple places. So in PowerPoint, yeah. start a presentation is a little tiny icon that looks like a projector screen down across the bottom of the window. And it's right. so small and so tiny that a bunch of people miss it and and just show, as you say, the edit view with the column that shows the actual slides and so forth. The other place they hide that sucker is up in the menu bar at the top where there's a slideshow menu. Yeah, and then it's hidden that. in there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I'm doing this from memory, so someone will tell me that I'm mistaken. But those are the two places that I remember starting presentations from in PowerPoint. Actually, do you happen to remember when the ribbon came to office? Uh, 2007. Right. In that case, it was 2007 then. I was working for the BBC, came into uh, an office once, and the calmest, nicest, most placid man in television was screaming at the screen how do i and think of every word you can think of just open a document because um the very first ribbon had a big office button but yep. it looked like just some sort of office logo it never occurred to anybody that that's where you opened right why would you click on that right <laughs> yes well, so and, how much user testing did they go through before that but, loads loads and and what they were basing that on was they they had the start button in Windows 95, 98, and so forth. And along the way, they changed it so that by the time XP rolled around, it wasn't a start button. It was just a Windows logo button, right? Oh, right. right. And, and they so, expected people would click on the Windows logo button to do Windows things like open the, the list of programs that they wanted to work with and stuff like that. And so similarly, they thought people would click on the Office logo button to do things to open files in Office. Okay, that... Makes sense in a roundabout way. I think we're trash talking office now, and this today of all no, days, no, we should no, be saying, no. "I'm not good trash talk." I I come here not to bury office, but to praise office. Okay, can I have one more criticism, please? I have to quit Excel whenever I'm done with it because it's uh, not so much on my new Mac Mini, but my old iMac it used to slow the entire machine down, even when it wasn't doing anything. And actually, I love Microsoft Excel, but uh, yeah, it was a resource hog. Other than that, though, Excel's brilliant. Well, so Excel in 2016 and forward is brilliant because it's finally based on the same code base as the Windows version. It used to be 
that the Mac version was based on its own code base and separate from the Windows version, even for the underlying yes. code like pivot tables and stuff like that, which meant that if you were doing it and you had seriously large sheets with, with loads and loads of columns and cells, like 30,000 rows, that Mac Office could not handle it and would just say, hey, I'm out. Thanks, guys. And Microsoft Office would run it. And so if you were using a Mac, the only way to be able to work with that very large amount of data was to run something like Parallels and oh, emulate Windows right. to run Excel for Windows. Well, then my vast riches are obviously not quite enough. Yes. So welcome, Microsoft, to the Mac App Store. And actually, seriously, this um, Apple mentioned this at WWDC last June, that uh, Microsoft, Adobe, Panic, BB Edit, all of these things were either coming or, or, or returning to the App Store now that it had been redesigned. And uh, it's taken a while. But uh, this is a good thing. And, and we should point out that the reason that a lot of Mac apps left the App Store, and I, a lot is probably the wrong word, but some Mac apps left the App Store, is not due to the design, but, but due to the fact that it was – that there, there were a few things, right? It was restrictive. Mm -hmm. they, they require you to sandbox your apps, and for some applications, that can impose just too high a bar, right? Yes. There's yeah. the 30% part, which is when you sell through the App Store, Apple takes their cut. There was just they weren't making very much money with it because Apple wasn't really pushing it and people weren't using it. On the good side, there's the fact that I, I do like the fact that I just moved to a new Mac and rather than copying everything over because I was having lots of problems, I decided to start afresh. I could just go to the Mac App Store and I, I, I did oddly have some problems. Most of the time I could just say, uh, yes, I had this app tap and it downloaded i didn't have to remember the license codes i didn't have to remember where the install download page on the website was it just did it and things so that's a good thing but as soon as you said all of that i suddenly realized i presume microsoft is paying apple 30 percent for its commission that that's microsoft giving up money either they are paying 30 percent or they're paying something negotiated that we don't know about but yeah you better believe they're paying something I think I hope so. You can make a case that uh, Office is a big draw to the Mac App Store. So I could see Apple doing a deal. But uh, well, I, as I say, negotiated, but I would believe that they're paying something, you know. And, and when we were talking about the, the iTunes on other people's televisions, other manufacturers' televisions, you know, yes. that also probably involves Apple paying those companies something in order to be loaded oh, sure. on their TVs. These, these things don't happen, happen in a vacuum. Money changes hands. There's a, a really quite famous British comedy. Uh, it's a guy called John Finnemore, uh, extraordinarily clever comedian. He has a sketch, which I'm sure you can find on YouTube somewhere, about a meeting between a film publicist and uh, a fast food company's publicist, where the film company wants to get their merchandise into the store and the store wants to license the film and neither person knows which of them is supposed to be paying the other for the deal it's uh it goes on for quite a while and it's that's, that's just life that's just real <laughs> i'm sure it's comedic but but i have i've seen yes. that and usually it's um i mean in in practice right in practice film licensing and and uh film property licensing is a big, big business. And so, you know, whoever's going to get to use that license is going to pay. Right. Um, and we've gone quite far down the line. Or we could have just said Microsoft Office is out. 
But we couldn't Hooray. leave it at that, could we? <laughs> yeah. Yay. Well, uh, half yay. Yay. Three quarters yay. Yeah. <laughs> there are other things that are out, though. For instance, Such there as. are developer betas. So if you have a developer account or, or like to wait for the public betas, um, iOS 12.2, tvOS 12.1.2, watchOS 5.2, and a macOS uh, beta for 10.14.4. So updates all around. And do we know anything about what's in uh, these? Uh, I was going to say beta. It's beta releases in the UK. It we is, get a different flavor. It is beta uh, releases, but it's beta releases over here. And... It's it's unclear a little bit what's going on in each of them. Now, one of the things that I speculate is inside them is for at least iOS. Uh, there's been a weird bug that that people have noticed in the past week or so, where, well, actually, it's been going back to the release of iOS 12, where where for some cell phones they would lose cellular connectivity completely. You know, we reported a story on it about Sprint not too long ago, and oh, so yes. I would imagine a fix for that would be in. Of course, if you read the release notes for some of the past releases of iOS 12, there was supposed to be a fix for that in as well. So hopefully we get it this time. Um, there, there are other features and functionality, but it's not exactly clear, like I say. Usually, usually it's new bug fixes and small features added. It's rare that we get whole mm. new things. But, you know, if you're on the beta track and if you like to get these sorts of things... Now you know. They're available. Go get them. I was on the beta track, and I actually took some trouble to get off it once uh, Mojave uh, was released. And the other day, I think I ended up finding out that I was accidentally still on it, because um, mm. there's an app I've been working on, and I had to re-sign up various things. And somewhere along the way, I've ended up uh, beta testing again. Yeah. But, you know, so if I spot anything, obviously I'll let you know. There you go. Well, don't let me know. Go ahead and file a bug track report. But the, oh, okay. right. the um, you know, file a radar, as they call them in Apple's world. Yes. One of the things never filed one. that you Sorry. could do is, uh, you know, when we were on the, the beta track for the phone for iOS with our mm -hmm. iPhone 6s, they install a profile on the phone. Oh, yes. Yes. And so if you check, you can remove the profile and you might find the same is true from Mojave. You could remove the profile from system preferences and that would take you off the beta track. I think it is. I mean, I actually wrote an article on how to do this, and I've forgotten. I obviously pay no attention to myself, but now you've said profile, that rings It sounds familiar, bells. doesn't it? It sounds, it sounds does. so familiar. It does. It does. Now, but why would you ever leave the beta program? Uh, stability. <laughs> yeah, all right. Good. Anything can happen when you're testing software that has not been deemed ready for release. Yes, or afterwards as well, but that's another, yeah. yes. You know, I want to talk about HomeKit for a minute. Do you use HomeKit? Oh, yes. Uh, I suppose I do, actually. I mean, you, I have, have, the, you have the heater. Yeah. I know that. What else have you got? Yes. I have quite a few Hue lights that I've uh, slowly accrued over the uh, years. Yes. Okay. Um, I like those. Yeah. Good, good. How many accessories would you say you have, just because I'm curious? Uh, I take it a bulb counts as an accessory. Um, so a bulb uh, counts. One, a bulb counts. Two, three, four. Oh, maybe seven actually. Oh, that's quite shocking. Actually, I hadn't realised. Yeah, call it seven. I'm just counting over here. Uh, I've got. It looks like about thirty devices on my home kit. <laughs> yeah, okay. I thought seven was a lot. Mostly because I just hadn't noticed it. it. Oh, no, no, no. I have motion sensors as well. 
Uh, it's probably 10. All right. Nice. Very cool. Okay. They're a bit uh, triple-like then, aren't they? They just, you get one, next thing you know. Yeah, yeah. And I have been thinking about trying to manage these HomeKit codes because there's, you, you know, they're on the devices themselves, but then you install them and now you have to track them down again if you need to reset them up for any reason. So I'm thinking about managing that. But before I get How would into you do to, that? Well, I mean, there's some applications on the App Store that let you catalog them, right? Where oh, you, you basically clever. enter them in so that you can have a list and there are people that keep a notebook with all the codes pasted, and I probably ought to have done that. I did not. And oh, so I've got uh, one password. I use one password a lot. Yeah, secure notes. I could have put it in there. I think, I yeah, mean, I said it was a good idea, too, but, but you just want to plug in a bulb and forget about it, don't you? You so, do. Well, you're in a rush to set things, something up and get it going, and, and then you walk away, and now you've got it installed in the wall. You know, I, I have some of these that are wired into the uh, electrical system. <laughs> And they're installed in the wall, and I'm going to pull off the wall plate to get it a code, right? Would it have been cheaper to just buy a new one and rather than repair what, the wall? Install again? No, probably not. But right. there's there's a story that we're running here that says that HomeKit could become more responsive to a user's needs, right? So what we're talking about is geolocation primarily. You know, there's the concept that. If you leave the home, the lights can turn out and the, the, the cooling system can go into a, an idle mode. And when you come home, it can start. Or when you're coming home, the lights can come on and the, the temperature begin cooling to make things you know, comfortable in the home. And I, I do have that with lights already. I don't have any. Uh, the office heater is actually on a smart plug. It's nothing more clever than that. But I have the lights coming on uh, automatically. And it's, it's one of the best things about it. Okay, so one of the things you could do is you could get an environmental sensor like the Eve and have that create triggers that will then switch the switch on your heater to keep it a little bit smarter. You know, when the temperature reaches this threshold, turn the heater on. When it reaches this other threshold, turn it back off kind of thing. Would you be able to do when it reaches this temperature and I'm at home, turn it on? Yeah, I think so. Right, then that would be uh, that would be good. That'd be good. Yeah. yeah. So one of the problems with this this recognition of a person in the home or not in the home is that it's not really an exact science. And in mm -hmm. addition to it not being an exact science, that is to say that it, they can't really hyperlocate you, that you, they can't know exactly where you are within a few feet. And so you could be in the home, you could be outside the home, right? It's a little bit questionable. The other okay. problem is what do you do with one or more persons, right? If you've got it set up so that it does stuff when you're at home or leaving the home and you leave and Angela's still there. You've just turned out the lights on her. Yes, and that has happened. Um, yes, I'm very conscious. I Actually, HomeKit, HomePod, uh, these are things that I would like everybody to be able to use. And in the end, I just, I, I've rigged it all so the lights go on whether Angela does something. Uh, and I just manually, manually, I ask Siri to switch them on for myself. Right. And I was looking at a, a HomeKit device that I've got on my network now. And in status and notifications, instead of it, it, so it's got options and they are, it says allow notifications for, for when people are home, right? It's, so it's got people off when somebody is home, when I am home, when nobody is home and when I am not home. And so it's a little more aware of, of the, uh, more than just myself. Problems. Yeah, that's good. But I'm sorry, it, which one do you say that was? I didn't. Oh, okay. It's, it's a device that is not publicly available yet that I've been doing some testing on, and I don't want to talk too deeply about it, but I like it very much so far. Okay. But that is, is that, this... that segment, that portion of it is something that Apple provides as a part of HomeKit. 
which is pretty cool. So that means it should be available to whatever device chooses to deploy that uh, right. information. Right. And that was in the status and notifications portion. And so if I look at a different device that maybe has, let's say, motion detection. Let me find one here. I've got a couple. There's one. Uh, no, that's an air quality sensor. Where's the motion? Air quality sensor. Oh, yeah. Perfect. I've got air quality. Cool. And humidity and, and out. temperature and so forth. Yeah. Uh, looks like I took out some of the other motion sensors. So at any rate, some of the status notification options are there for that sort of thing. And you can do the same as a trigger for automation. All right. But okay. obviously that's not very useful if it's not really accurate, right? Oh, sure. I see what you mean. Yes. And so there's, there's some possibility that Apple is going to be able to add hyper-local positioning to HomeKit with accuracy down to just a few feet. So it can suggest what items a user might want to control based on their location in the home. Would that be through eye beacons or something? Well, you know, it, it, the patent application that was published by the, the patent office here in America was titled Using In-Home Location Awareness. And basically, Apple's suggesting a future where users could be provided more items to control in the home app with it automatically populating items on the screen depending on the mobile device's physical location within the home. So instead of having to select a room or try and load all of the things you really care about into favorites, it would just be able to say, oh, here's where you are, here's the stuff around you, and present that to you. I mostly like that. You know, I, I've had to create different rooms based on where some of these devices are to try and make them make sense, and especially for them to make sense in the Siri commands. The, um, For example, I have a number of devices on my front of my house. I have a camera that faces outside. I have lights that are outside. And formerly, I'd placed those in the hallway because they were, you know, pretty close to the hallway. But I've created a room called front so that I can say things like unlock the front door and it will understand that the door is within that room called front. And it makes sense when we're speaking semantically, right? Or turn on the front porch lights, and it will turn on the lights that are outside lighting up the front porch, because the front is the room. That's very clever. That makes sense. Yes. Yeah. You shouldn't and, have to do this sort of conjuring, but the fact that you have and it works is, is very good. Right. Formerly, if I named the device front door, that was fine. But if I said unlock the door, it said, I don't know what you have named door. I'm looking for a front door, right? Yes. And yes. and so by giving the room that name, it now works as door or front door, which is convenient. And and you know, if you had a garage door opener kind of thing for uh for a garage, you you would want the same kind of thing. And so it's it's interesting. But their idea of presenting this stuff based on what's nearby is really cool. And and what they're doing is they're going to detect a triggering event, they're going to measure sensor values to generate a sensor position, identify the device and accessory that are around and the action performed, and then cluster sensor positions around that. And then they'll detect a new triggering event and measure the sensor values to generate a new sensor position. So basically, as you sort of go through, they will be sort of evaluating what's nearby. That sounds good and clever, but it also reminds me of what's supposed to happen whenever you call Siri. Uh, I mean, where I'm sitting now, I have a HomePod near me, my phone isn't very far away, my watch is on my wrist. Uh, they are, you say the words and all of these devices are supposed to get their heads together. Which one did he mean? Was it you? Was it me? Um, and most of the time it works it out, but reg quite often enough to be irritating, it doesn't and the wrong thing fires. Hmm. So. Interesting. I found out that my, uh, one of my home was in the living room 
uh, I was walking up the stairs and I asked my watch to set an alarm for the next morning. And the next morning, five o'clock in the morning, I heard this distant ringing from the living from room. From the home park. Uh, yeah. 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 It's quite a pretty alarm, actually. I wasn't expecting that, but, you know. So the, the goal here is to to sort of understand a user is near a location rather than within it, right? If you're near that room and near those things, as opposed to necessarily being directly in that room, light sensors, temperature sensors, weather sensors, they could play a part in this. You know, you want to be able to, to offer control of the external lights if the light sensor says that it's dark or the thermostat offered up if the temperature sensor says that it's cold. You know, it's it's basically trying to find these holes of things that are slightly inconvenient but people don't really think about yet and solve mm. for them so that by the time that the rest of the world has more devices that they don't notice these holes wherever they're you and i we're kind of outliers i mean i know there are people that have 30 to 60 home kit devices on their network i know that i've got 30 and i thought i was doing pretty well and you've got like 10 or 11 and you're doing pretty well there are people who just got the philips hue bulbs and that's it right yeah or there are yeah, people who got the door lock and stopped there yeah, this is what I said to you about uh, the fact that I thought it was very clever what you did with the front room, but that you shouldn't have to. Uh, I, I actually think Apple is very good at this uh, appliance thing. You get it to do a thing, it does a thing. And maybe some people would like you to be able to tinker a bit more than they let you. But I like this approach because usually I'm not interested in the technology. I'm interested in the work that it lets me do kind of thing. Um so I like the Apple approach, and if they're doing more of this, most of I said I mostly like it. There's a part of me that thinks, am I going to end up having to buy everything through Apple, and is everything going to know where I am at all times? Well, no, I, I mean, end up living with that. The the future we're headed into is one where these devices are compatible with the different platforms. They're they're Amazon Alexa, Google Assistant, and Apple HomeKit compatible. That's a lot of things are currently Alexa and Google Assistant compatible, mm. and and. The remainder are either only Apple HomeKit because they date from that time before when things were just Apple HomeKit or nothing else, or they're all three. Right. And I'm okay with that. First of all, as a consumer, it means that if one of these systems becomes discontinued, as Google, for example, has a good history of doing, <laughs> then true. there are ways to, to keep things going, right? And yes. the other yes. is that what I've noticed is when I'm setting up a device on all three of these platforms, it is much faster on HomeKit because for these other platforms, my command has to go out into the world, be processed by Google or Amazon, and then trigger the cloud service at that the accessory maker's cloud, and then come back and, and actually actuate on the device. And, and salt advertisers on the way. Yes, I see your point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm sending my voice up to satellites around the world and then back down again to turn on a light, right? <laughs> yes. And with, What a world. With yes. HomeKit, the voice processing happens at Apple and comes back, and the switching happens on the local network immediately. Yes. Things are Which much is... faster and, and much more secure because the actual data about the light itself never leaves. That's all within the network itself. Any any okay. video generated by cameras is all within the network itself, never leaves. So from that sense, HomeKit is, is safer, more secure, and faster. So go Apple. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. And Actually, since you and I last spoke about this, um, my wife Angela has received her late birthday present. A friend gave her an Amazon Echo Dot, it was, and... 
It's in our living room. It's taken the place of the HomePod there because I've grabbed my HomePod to my office. And I am surprised to say how fine it is. I thought it'd be good for, you know, talking to it. But uh, right this moment, uh, Andrew's listening to Classic FM and it doesn't sound anywhere near as good as the HomePod, but it's much better than I was expecting. So everything's fine. The best Bring feature on about the Dot is that it's got an output jack and Bluetooth on it. And so right. if you have good speakers nearby then you can either Bluetooth to those good speakers or use an aux cable and have Alexa and the good sound. The only good speaker I've got is the HomePod. And you know you, know you can't uh, plug into it, but also it's mine. Okay, yeah. it's staying with me. Yeah. So there. All right. I'm yeah. just saying that there are yeah. ways, right? Very well, you've said that now. Let's move on. I have, I have. So one of the things that we did here is uh, I ended up redoing my daughter's rooms. I ended up painting the rooms, painting their furniture. And I put in a whole bunch of outlets that are, are compatible with HomeKit. Wow. And their, the bedroom lamp is a dimmer powered by Lutron. It's a Cassetta Wireless, which is HomeKit compatible. One of the early HomeKit devices, actually. And it has a remote control as well. And so... Mm. I have set things up so that when the Lutron device is controlled, that it triggers the outlets, which means that all of the outlets are now also on remote control. Oh, right. Okay. It's really quite handy for them. Yes. You know, because if you're, if you're lying in bed on the night table, you don't want to have to get up and go turn on a light switch. So they've got the little <laughs> remotes right at the night table. <laughs> We're going to get listener uh, email telling me that I'm a bad father for not making them get up and walk across the room now, but... But that's that. That's what we've done. I just wrote a thing for the... I'm not sure I'm supposed to tell anybody this, but just between us. Royal Society of Artists. Uh, they have RSA fellows, and I was writing a piece about one of them. And it's... Um, I've forgotten her name. A choreographer who's become a scientist who teaches uh, movement exercises specifically because a shocking percentage of children going into schools now just don't move enough because they've gone from baby strollers to baby walkers to sitting in front of their Xboxes and then they go into school. And apparently if you don't have enough physical movement, it actually impairs your learning as well. So I'm, I'm fascinated by the fact that we're all going this way. Well, um, there's, there is tons of research that suggests that fitness, exercise, is key to maintaining me mental fitness. What about chocolate? You know, I'm not aware of chocolate and mental fitness per se, although I am aware that if you were able to eat a staggeringly large amount of chocolate, like an impossibly large amount of chocolate, that, that there is a small psychoactive component to it. But you simply, okay, I was just... as, as a human, you can't consume enough to actually have that happen okay i was just playing a hunch but all right well, mm. there was something there you found it <laughs> yes and you tell me i can never actually have it but challenge accepted there you okay. go gene munster you familiar with gene munster yes uh, pundit sorry do you uh, have analyst analyst if you please analyst yeah i'm very sorry Yes. Right, right. So Gene Munster, for one, is the fellow that has been for years beating the drum about when is Apple going to make a television? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I'd forgotten about him. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so he is an analyst for Luke Ventures, and he's saying that, quote, we think the street has not fully factored in the repercussions of the miss in the uh, fiscal year 2019 estimates. Basically, he's suggesting that Apple's 2019 revenue will decline 5% year on year which is more than the 2% that's indicated by the Wall Street consensus. 
He's he's thinking that uh, iPhone shipments were flat for 2018's financial year and that they'll sink another 17% in 2019. Okay. Um, is there uh, Basically, he's saying more than than double what Wall Street is. Okay. So in a year's time, he'll either be right or he'll be wrong, or actually more likely uh, we'll all have forgotten this and have moved on to some other doom-laden Story. Yeah, yeah. Now, now he he says that on a positive note, Apple will declare a, rec- a record quarter in terms of earnings per share, up seven percent thanks to a lowered share count. But revenue he expects down five percent as opposed to the two percent other people are predicting. Um, he says, well, revenue is expected to be down five percent. Earnings are seen dipping just one percent, which he calls unprecedented and representative of a resilient business. So. <sighs> You know, he's saying these things that that would normally sound to be quite bad, but at the same time saying that there's sort of a silver lining here and that Apple will weather it. Okay, so I don't, Apple isn't doomed? Is that what he's saying? Um, sort of mixed, right? He thinks that, that the margins will be about flat, that there will be a little bit of rise based to, to services, but, you know, the iPhone is going to decline is what he's saying. So on the one hand... It's good and it's bad. It's up and it's down. It's over and it's under. And he's a pundit who hasn't had the best record before. Yes. Right. Okay. I think I'm probably going to forget about him for now? a bit. Do you feel any better knowing that? <laughs> it's taking some thoughts, some processes, but I am, I'm going to wait to see what happens and probably forget all about it in the meantime. Yes. Though I wish I hadn't said that about the Apple TV because uh, I'd forgotten all about the TV rumors that he was saying every year that it was going to come out. I mean, uh, it'd still be nice. In I a like way, we Apple sort of TV. got it, right? If LG and Sony and, and Vizio are putting iTunes movies on their TVs, it's not yeah. the Apple TV experience, but it, you know, as, and as much as LG made monitors for Apple and Apple stopped making monitors, it's kind of that. I guess I just yeah, every smart TV I've ever slogged through trying to get anywhere. I, it has reminded me of how easy it is to use the Apple TV, the box that you can buy now. So true. Although there are a number of people that dislike the touch remote. Yes, uh, I am forever dropping it and always picking it up the wrong way around. But other okay. than that, here here I are like the it. two things that I have for you as practical advice. One, buy a silicone jacket for your touch remote. Mm-hmm. Hear me out. Hear and me two. out. A, A, when you drop it, it will bounce instead of breaking and costing you 80 pounds for a fresh one, which is a good thing. And B, the way that it will cover it will be that it will cover the bulk of the bottom portion that goes in your palm and leave the touch surface exposed, giving you a way to orient it by feel easily. Okay. Can I just thank you for saying that in pounds sterling as well? That was a nice touch. You're, you're welcome. There. Um, yeah. I always drop it on carpet, and I must have dropped it 50 times, and I haven't had a problem so far. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm just going to risk it. There you go. But I don't, being able I don't to actually like putting these things in cases. Nice. That is important. But I, I think Apple stuff is so nicely done. Wrapping it up in cases. I, mean, I don't even like putting my iPhone in a case, but it's so expensive. I can't not do it. Yeah. So I, I, I strike I, a blow for I the used, remote. I used an iPhone XS Max 256 gig model without a case or screen protector for a month. Was it somebody else's then? Yes, yes, it was. Okay. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Living very dangerously there, but surprisingly, nothing happened to it. So it's it can be done. 
But, you know, if, if you were a person that were concerned about that, well, Verizon is one of our carriers in the U.S. And, and Verizon has a carrier brand called Visible. And the Verizon Visible carrier brand just now started selling iPhones. They, they relied previously on a bring-your-own-phone kind of scheme, but, but now they're selling iPhones. And interesting for Verizon, they are selling AppleCare. Oh, I thought only Apple sold AppleCare. Is, is that – am I just wrong? Well, it used that... to be that, that Apple would sell you AppleCare through Best Buy or whoever else and things like that, but not for iPhone. For iPhone specifically, you went through them. So Visible's selling point is they have a $40 all-unlimited plan with access to Verizon's network. Data is limited to five megabits per second and below, which is below what the network's capable of. And you have access to what's called a Visible Protect add-on package for coverage of loss, theft, and damage, which is 10 to $12 per month, depending on the phone, it includes AppleCare, which well, is kind of a good trick because Verizon themselves, when they sell you a phone, do not do this. They're selling you insurance based on one of the other insurance providers. And... It's it's not as good as Apple Care. I have to say I hadn't even heard of. I mean, I know I'm in the UK, but I'd heard of Verizon. I'd never heard of Verizon Visible. You, you know, Verizon Visible is not really known to a whole lot of people. They just launched in May last year, and it's it's not clear exactly um, what the pitch is for Verizon Visible. There there are a bunch of MVNOs or mobile virtual network operators that use these other networks. Like Total Wireless oh, yeah. is is a Verizon MVNO, but Verizon Visible. Is, is actually a Verizon carrier brand. So it's sort of a weird thing. And I'm probably going to try and investigate it a little bit more, but I'm, I'm firmly locked into Verizon for now. And I know this doesn't apply to our friends in Canada or, or other places. Canada's got Rogers and Bell and uh, a few others, which escape me at this moment. Please forgive me. And it's, it's a very sort of – each country has their own little quirks about how the telcos work with stuff. Yeah. Yes. You know, I, I was talking to with another friend of mine in the UK who was telling me that uh, he, he's basically on a plan where he pays the cell phone company, pays the carrier, and every year they ask him, hey, would you like a new phone? And he says, well, sure, I guess so, and takes a fresh phone without really thinking about it a whole lot. And he sort of pays them in perpetuity. Mm. But as long as, as long as he can do that and everybody's happy, yeah. he gets a new phone. Exactly. I think he should probably be on um, what's Apple's thing called, uh, the upgrade program. Sounds like he might have a better deal with that, but well, I mean, it depends on whatever they're giving him as a benefit. But I, I wish that the upgrade program. The only reason I didn't do the upgrade program this time is because Verizon offered me a a free iPhone XR as long as I agreed to buy a phone and um, and open up an additional line. Hang on, excuse me, a free iPhone XR. Right. That so here's, does seem pretty here's, irresistible. Here's what yeah. what happened: is in December, on December twenty fourth of all things. I looked at Verizon's website and they had this offer going on. Now, I, I had a child, I, I had set up a phone line for one of my children previously, and I had not set up a line for the second child. And so the offer made complete sense to me because it was buy a phone and get a free iPhone XR as long as you add an additional line of service. Well, I've got a child who needs a line of service. So yeah, I can go ahead and add that line and I'll get myself a fresh phone and, by the way, upgrade my lovely wife with an iPhone XR. Right, hang on. But your kids, who, for whom you are buying these lines, they get uh, They're using SE. They get the lines, they don't get a phone. Yeah, well, they, they've they got – one's got an iPhone SE and the other's got an iPhone 6 because she liked the larger screen. Okay, fair enough. Now, technically, Verizon's intent was that the new line would get the iPhone XR, but we just swapped SIM cards around and that's that. Right, okay. 
I won't tell if you won't. Well, they don't care. As long as they're getting paid for the phone, they're fine. And uh, the other neat trick was that was their their deal was offering the free 10R for the low storage model, the 64 gig. Mm -hmm. And it turns out if you agree to pay an extra four to six dollars a month, you just move right on up to the uh, the 256 gig model. Oh, really? Wow, that's quite a leap. Okay. Yeah. So they they are crediting the cost of the phone itself for the 64 gig model, and I'm paying a six dollars a month to have the 256 gig. That seems well worth it. I am on the uh, smallest, um, uh, the 10s Max. It's the the best I could afford, and actually, I haven't had any problems with it at all. I'm nowhere near uh, hitting my limit. Although I think I was before. Um, am I six? For some reason, I, maybe I've just calmed down on my app usage since then. Well, it's so so good that you have calmed down on your app usage. Mm. Now, I, we should talk briefly about uh, ExpressVPN. We were talking before about HomeKit and how the data stays within your home and how that's secure. And there's there's a lot of data that really doesn't stay within your home. And for that, ExpressVPN makes a lot of sense, right? With all the recent news about online security breaches, it's hard not to worry about where your data goes. You know, you're making an online purchase or accessing your email. That could put your private information at risk. You're being tracked online by social media sites, marketing companies, and like we're talking about, your mobile provider. And not only can they record your browsing history and your location data and other stuff, they sell it to other corporations who want to profit from your information. And we were just uh, there was a story last week that uh, Motherboard covered about how they were able to spend three hundred bucks and buy the precise location data from T-Mobile, Sprint, and AT and T in the U.S. It's it's really nuts. It is so. When you're trying to protect your your private information as you're using the internet, you really need to take advantage of of a VPN like ExpressVPN. And ExpressVPN has easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background on my computer, my phone, my tablet, and turning it on takes one click. ExpressVPN secures and anonymizes my internet browsing by encrypting the data and hiding the public IP address. And protecting yourself with ExpressVPN costs less than $7 a month. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash appleinsider. That's expressvpn.com slash appleinsider for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash appleinsider to learn more. William, what, what exciting story would you like to talk about? I, I don't know that it's exciting, but it makes me happy. This year is the 35th anniversary of the Mac and uh, I just had a very good time writing an article about the good old days of when it started. Uh, do you like the Mac at all? Mac never touched it. Mm. I'm kidding. Mm. I think course. it will catch I'm on. Kidding? You, you think? Give it another thirty-five years. Yeah, might be big. Yeah. Huh? Uh, yeah. So I, I have in my garage because I have a problem. I have. <laughs> I have a. Let's see. Let's go through the list. I have a Mac Classic. Oh yes, I had I, one of those. I have a Mac. Well, I bought a Frangela, but I, I have a Mac SE. Oh, my I, fir the first Mac I ever used was an SE, and then very soon upgraded to an SE thirty. Yeah. Uh, it was quite fascinating watching that happen in front of me in this office I was in. Loved the SE thirty. I thought this was an SE thirty until I went out and looked at it, and lo and behold, it's an SE. And uh, I have I have four LC twos. Oh yes, yeah. First Mac I bought for myself was one of the original LCs. Yeah. And uh, I have a Quadra something or other, oh. a pizza box shaped yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. And I have a 
Let's see there. I've got an iMac, an original Bondi Blue iMac. I have to say, I, I maybe I'm the only person here, but I never thought they were that attractive. Although they were very bulbous and ugly. I know the rest of the world says fantastic design. Are you on the side of they were wonderful? Uh, the 1998 iteration is <laughs> is nice, but I think it really came into its own when it became the iMac DV, and it went from the translucent to the transparent shell. It was a better design and a better implementation of it. I'm afraid I liked it when they were to the the head bopping one and then to the the, the, uh, the precursor liked, to the you one we have the now. The 2002 2003 uh, Sunflower iMac. Yes. Yeah. Though yes. so they're bigger than you think. When I finally saw one in the flesh, I was quite surprised. Oh, I have one of those as well. Chunky. Oh, okay. Of course you do. Uh, I interrupted your count there. What else? Uh, I had a load of Power Macs, but I actually got rid of them a summer ago. And I have a bunch of power books and, and old MacBooks. I have quite a few power books, um, none of them working, all of them worn down to you know, the metal. With these. I, I, I got rid of my first two power books. My first one was a Wall Street that I had upgraded and was running OS 10 10.0 on. And, wow, uh, I did not know you could do that. If you do things carefully, you can push the limits on that and actually have that work. And I had built that machine. I bought it for $200 without a keyboard and without a display working. And I fixed the display backlight and bought a keyboard from an iBook G3, which worked inside it. And so I had a white keyboard on this uh, yeah. Wall Street black PowerBook. Um, then I got an, uh, a PowerBook 12-inch G4. Oh, yes, yes. Loved that. Nice machine. I think I owned an iBook G3 for a week or two and uh, ended up turning that into the 12-inch PowerBook along the way. Um, That was a fantastic machine. And, of course, it's ridiculously thick now. It's absurd now. But back then, my God, what a machine. Yeah, we're coming up close to the uh, anniversary of the iPad. And I I was watching the Steve Jobs presentation the other day. And there he is saying, look how thin it is. And you're thinking, yeah, no, it isn't. Well, it, it, for the it, time. I mean, it was. I had four. No, of those I, I actually point. have my original iPad right next to me. Um, um, I waited up until three a.m. No, I, I went at three a.m. and waited until the store opened for the uh, the original iPad. I can remember buying my first iPhone, but I can't remember buying my first iPad. All I remember is. Uh, uh, another BBC office where because you know, it came out in the states a couple of months I think before it came in the UK yeah. uh, they flew one over because they were working on websites and needed to see what it looked like for, uh, for I was the fascinated iPad? yeah I was fascinated yeah. by how small it seemed at first right when and I then, bought mine I was yeah. buying it for some British people I was I was in line oh, right. and they they phoned me up in the middle of the night and said go to your Apple store and wait in line and we will pay and this uh, is why people say you and I aren't friends because you didn't do that for me. Yeah. I don't recall you calling me in the middle of the night and asking. I would have answered. Yeah, had right. you called. Details. Had okay. you called William, I would have answered. Right, and said, "Who are you again?" I would have picked up. <laughs> but I, I was in line, and I was in line with uh, Play of Kid and Play, which was a nineteen nineteen eighties uh, rap duo. Oh right. Okay. So you had half of I had this half kid of and Kid play. and Play. Wow. I had Play. Okay. <laughs> it was almost a house party in line at the Apple Store. You had play. You weren't kidding. No, Sorry, kidding. no kid. Please see what I was kidding. I, was, I got you. I got you there. That yeah, was terrible. it's just. It had to be said. Okay, it so did. you went into the door. Did you get that? Uh, I've got the case 
uh, on mine, and I really like that case. The um, the original case was that sort of uh, heat sealed black folio thing. Mm. Yeah, it looks a bit grubby now after all these years. It but was it, kind it, of I absurd to begin with. They they really came into their own with the silicone and the um, the magnetic smart case, smart cover. Yes, I had one of those on an iPad Air, but I think I got one for the. I was given it as a present, and I think I was given one for the wrong iPad. So it kind of worked, but it didn't quite work. Yeah. So I have fonder memories of yeah. the original. But, uh, anyway, but this all started with memories of the Mac. Well, so Stephen Sinofsky, who is who is uh, now a venture capitalist, but he was for a time the lead in charge of the Windows program, oh, especially right. yes. around the time of Windows Vista and Windows Seven. Uh, he was recounting online not too long ago about using the first Mac, the 128K Mac, for school papers. And he said, you know, the first first time he had it, he was using it to write. And he spent his second semester recovering all of his Mac write documents because they became corrupt when he used too much, too much formatting and had too many characters in them. Right. Okay. The, the 512K Mac, the fat Mac, the second version, yeah. could not come soon enough for him. Yes. Uh yeah, in fact, the story we ran on uh, Apple Insider today about this is that uh, I can't remember the headline now, but it's of the line that uh, uh, Mac launches and changes the world eventually. Yes. And one of the reasons for that was that it was too slow at the start. But look where it has brought us all. I love my little Mac. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and, and that was one of the interesting things is those early Macs, um, especially, let's say, around the 1990s, we're doing networking and doing local chat and things like this that that Windows machines really weren't at that time. No, Not I still remember way. crawling through ceilings, um, pulling. Oh, what would the cable have been then? Um, you were really pulling thin. thin net. You were pulling coax. There's some other word for it. Um, when they used to have ADB ports, right? So you were doing Apple Talk. Apple Talk. Yeah. Right. That yeah. was it. Yes. Yeah. Rooting through the ceilings. Yeah. That was. I was younger then, clearly, and lighter, presumably. Yeah, I'm younger than that now. But uh, that's, well. that's, you know, a lot of things are happening. You know, one of the things in the U.S. that's happening is Apple Pay is finally turning on at most of the retailers that were calcitrant and refusing to do it. I still find that hard to get used to because it's so prevalent here. Uh, I cannot think of a single place I've been to buy anything where I didn't – pay with Apple Pay for any reason other than, I don't know, I just didn't want to, or I need it on a different account. It just everywhere takes it. So the fact that America has this fractured system. Uh, well, yeah, so, we've so Walmart did not want to do it. Walmart wanted to invent their own system. And they, along with CVS and Target and a few others, went on board with Walmart's system. Was that the current C or something? It is, current C. Current C, yes. Walmart is the last holdout, really. That uh, that that uh, Target and CVS and all of the others are have gone to NFC, Apple Pay compatible and are turning that on. Now they're not turning it on for their store cards. So Target has a store card called the Red Card, and when you use it, they give you five percent off purchases in the store. And right. they're not going to go ahead and enable that for use with Apple Pay. So if you still want to take advantage of that, you have to pay with the card itself or with the Target app which is back to Walmart's current C kind of plan. Okay. In some, the U.S. is a little confusing on this stuff. Give us another couple of years, we'll sort it out. Yeah. Yeah. Be fine. Eventually. But, 
Apple Pay, um, just love it. The ability specifically to, to run through London and just wave your watch at the turnstiles and be in the underground uh, for it. I, just, uh, so handy. Yay. Yeah. Again, Victor, William, uh, email us, victor at appleinsider.com, william at appleinsider.com. I'm V Marks on Twitter. William, you're... I am W Gallagher at Twitter, and I really enjoy the comments. Thank you. All right. We'll be back next week.